powerful and important tonight, Bible prophecy. Before we do, though, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you to be totally transparent with me. And if you are 18 to 35, raise your hand. Oh, look at all those, even on Wednesday night. Okay, I want you to listen carefully to me. 18 to 35, I have a word from the Lord for you. I have a, a vision that God has put on my heart for you. And let me tell you when I want to dispense it. I want to dispense it on the 17th, Friday night. The 17th. Everybody say the 17th. 17th Friday night, right here, well, over in the fellowship hall. I want to get with all of our, we're calling young adults. So if you're 35, you can thank me for calling you a young adult. But we want to get with everybody 18 to 35, and, and let me share my heart with you. And listen, I want to hear your heart. I'm going to ask you some things, and I want to hear you. So that's going to be on the 17th, Friday night, 7 o'clock, right here in this building, in the Fellowship Hall, coffee, finger foods, coffee. Okay? And uh, we'll give you some tea and water or whatever you want. But you, you ought to want coffee. But anyway, so that'll be Friday night, the 17th. Can we say it together? Friday night. The 17th. You say, Pastor, I've got a date. Bring him here. Just bring him here. Because whoever your date is, i got a word for them too. All right? Then on the 19th, only two days later, we begin our essentials class right here on Sunday night. I will be here again at 6. Now, I don't want to confuse Friday with Sunday. Friday night is not 6. It's 7. Sunday night is... Six, and the first class has to do with uh, the vision of this house. If you are thinking about becoming a part of this church, or if you'd like to go through the essentials uh, classes that get you ready for ministry in the house, then I want to encourage you to be here Sunday night at six, Friday night at with your date. All right, that's young adults, and we will have childcare for you. We will have childcare for birth through five. So no excuse for you not. There's nothing on TV. There is no movie worth seeing that will be better than this. All right. How many of you are ready to learn about Israel? How many of you have said anything to somebody or to yourself, what in the world is going on? What in the world is going on in this world? Well, you know what? God has everything under control. God knew the end from the beginning. God's got it. But we're going to look at what the Bible says about the last days, and I told you Sunday I was going to talk to you about what Jesus prophesied about the last days, and then when I started getting ready, I realized I've got to finish Ezekiel, so I'm going to go a little bit into what Jesus said, but primarily I want to wrap up Ezekiel's prophecy about the last days because it is happening in front of our eyes, like the morning paper. It's amazing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the word of the living God. And Lord, that you told us the end from the beginning because you are God and can do that. And right now, Lord, as we get into this word, you gave us this word so that we would know what is coming upon the world. So Lord, I pray that you will touch this word, bring it home, make it real, illuminate us, Lord, open our eyes and our ears to hear what God said to last day's people. In Jesus' name, will you pray and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Amen. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, this is going to be good tonight. Get ready. All righty. Wasn't that a great Easter? It just had a wonderful, wonderful Easter. Uh, 50 people that we know of gave their hearts to Christ. And, you know, I went back here uh, for one of those uh, harvests, and most of them had been invited. Most of them had been invited. So it goes to show you, if you get them here, they're liable to get saved. All right? Now, I want, I want to look again at the coming invasion of Israel because this is, this is front burner stuff. This is what is happening in our world right in front of our eyes. Now, if you were here last time, you saw uh, with me that Israel is indeed the geographical location around which Bible prophecy revolves. It's Israel. Israel is the center of the world when it comes to Bible prophecy. Israel is God's prophetic timepiece. What, whatever is happening in Israel, you can, you can bet fits right in to the epicenter of what God is doing in the earth. It's the central focal point of end-time prophecy. Israel is. Now, as the time of Christ's return draws near, Mark it down. More and more of the attention of the world is going to be on this tiny piece of real estate called Israel. Smaller than New Jersey. Isn't that amazing? Yet Israel is the apple of God's eye. That's why it says, bless Jerusalem. So if we return east towards Jerusalem and bless it. That'd be biblical. All right? Now, consider the uncanny fact with me. That just as, as Ezekiel and other Bible prophets predicted, and I'm going to read some of that prediction in just a moment, the very nations that will turn against Israel in the last days, according to Ezekiel and others, have all fallen into line today. It is amazing. Now, keep in mind, Ezekiel prophesied centuries before Christ. Before Christ. So you go back 2,100 years to Christ, Ezekiel was centuries before that say 2,400 years. And yet, he was able to predict nations that would exist, what their attitude toward Israel would be, and what their final act against Israel would be. Iran, here, here they are. Ezekiel pointed out Iran, Iraq, Russia, Turkey, and others that are rabidly anti-Semitic and anti-Israel today. Folks, can you believe that in Europe where the Holocaust happened, we're having a rise of anti-Semitism again? You would think they were head, would hang their heads in shame for the rest of eternity for what happened in the Holocaust, but no, anti-Semitism is raising its ugly head again in Europe right now. And dare I say, also in America and in Washington. Iran, a major player in Ezekiel's prophecy about a major attack on Israel, is in all the news today as they race toward acquiring a nuclear bomb. They have vowed to wipe Israel off the map over and over again. They've made their intentions clear. And that's exactly what Ezekiel predicted their mentality and their attitude and their intent would be. He predicted that. Ezekiel predicted, quote, now, here's Ezekiel 38. After many days, you will be visited. Now, he's speaking to Gog, 
and Magog, which are to the uttermost part of the world, which can only be Russia. All Bible scholars agree this is Russia. In the latter years, you, Russia, will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, and that would be the Israeli people when they became a nation again in 1948. Are you with me? He said, you, Russia, are going to come against, come against the land that has been brought back, the people that have been brought back, which had long been desolate. That's the Jewish people. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend. He's, again, Russia. You, Russia, will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. This will be a confederacy of nations, many peoples with them. In review from last time, those many peoples are identified as, first, Russia, Gog and Magog, then Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Now, that's ancient Persia. When he says Persia, that ancient Persian landmass today comprises Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Also, Ethiopia, which is today's Ethiopia, the Sudan, Libya, Eastern Europe, Germany, and Turkey, and many others, says Ezekiel. As we shared last time, America is not to be found in this prophecy or indeed in any prophecy about the last days. Unless you want to say that America is the Babylon found in John's Revelation, which, which some say, some believe. You know, folks, I wondered about this for a long time. Because I started studying this when I was in my early 20s. And I remember thinking, how is it that a nation as great as America is nowhere in end-time prophecy? How could that be? I mean, greatest nation, most prosperous nation that has ever existed. There has never been a nation like America in the history of the world. Not Rome, not Greece, not Egypt, none. But it's not there in end-time prophecy. So either America has been so diminished by the time this happens that it's not a factor, or America is so anti-Israel, she chooses not to help her. But the thing about Ezekiel 38 is this. It is that no nation on the whole earth lifts up its voice on behalf of Israel when this confederate, um, huge, combined army attacks them. Sadly, what's not found in Ezekiel's prophecy is any nation in the entire world stands with her. They are protected by God alone. Now, if I had read this to you 20 years ago, you would have said, oh, no, 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 Jeff, that's not right, because America will surely stand with them, and a couple of the Western nations will. But watch with me now. If you read the news at all, you're keenly aware that there is a growing anti-Israel sentiment in virtually every nation in the world. Never has America been anti-Israel until the Obama administration. Never. They've been our allies. I mean, I'm only telling you what is there, what's clearly there. I'm not attacking anybody. I'm just telling you what's there. 
He has clearly been, and this administration has clearly been anti-Israel. For the first time in the history of Israel as a nation, starting in 1948. And so I, I watch this and I go, wow. And then I realize that's what Ezekiel saw. Okay? Let's read about how God himself is going to stand up for Israel when no other nation does. When, when, when you are going to have, folks, you're going to have this little tiny dot of real estate on the world map surrounded by enemy nations with mighty Russia coming down, leading the pack, coming against this little bitty land, and yet they're going to fail. Watch this. It will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel. That's Russia. When Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, my fury will show in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath I have spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. So the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the beasts of the field, all creeping things that creep on the earth, and all men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. In other words, when they come against Israel, there's going to be a whole lot of shaking going on. All right? Literally. You know, God does answer with earthquakes. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. When he rose from the dead, there was an earthquake. And all those that were sleeping in the tombs, because of the earthquake, they were shaken out of their tombs and they were resurrected and walked around the city of Jerusalem. God speaks and answers through acts of nature in the Bible. And it's going to happen here. There's going to be a great earthquake. The mountains will be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. Not a wall will be left standing after this earthquake. And look what God says. I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment. This is the Lord God, the one we just worshipped. I will bring him to judgment with pestilence, and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, catch this, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Now, this is not archaic Old Testament um, language. Uh, you know, he's not speaking metaphorically. This is he says, it's going to be flooding rain, great hailstones, fire and brimstone are going to fall down upon this confederacy of nations that have come against my land. Thus I will magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now look, and this is me, I wrote this, I'm just conjecturing. But if I'm a man living centuries before Christ, and the only military-type weaponry I know of is bows and arrows and maybe catapults and spears and shields and so on. How do I describe a vision that I have of a nuclear blast? How do I describe it? Because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ancient dude here. How, I, I'm seeing something. So how do I describe it? I say this. I say, I saw flooding rain. 
I saw great hailstones. I saw fire. I saw brimstone. Like the eruption of a volcano. But there's not any there. What Ezekiel describes will either be the direct judgment of God, like when he rained down fire and brimstone on the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, or he is describing a nuclear blast, ladies and gentlemen. I believe it's the latter. And I'm going to tell you why. Zechariah describes the same thing, but he's even more vivid. And I got to tell you, this is one of the hardest parts of the Bible to read because it is gross. But I'm going to read it. This shall be the plague with which the Lord will smite all the people that have done what, everybody? Fought Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Whoa. Goes without saying, this never happened in Bible times, never. You can't point. Even Sodom and Gomorrah, this didn't happen. They were completely vaporized when God judged the Twin Cities as an example to all of us of what he thought about homosexuality. That's what Peter said. Now, it is what something nuclear can do. The destruction is so instantaneous. Catch this. This is Zachariah's vision. The destruction is so instantaneous that their eyes, tongue, and flesh are burned away before the body has a chance to hit the ground. That's nuclear, in my opinion. Now, I can't say that for sure because I don't know for sure. But boy, does it sound like it, Right? All that being said, I find it fascinating that here we are in the 21st century with Israel having been gathered from all the nations to which she was scattered, which greatly, I consider it the greatest Bible prophecy fulfillment in my lifetime. And I wasn't alive. I had five years before I was alive. But in my time period, my generation, the baby boomers, okay? And the focal point of the world is right now tonight on the concern that Iran will acquire a nuclear bomb. Isn't that amazing? Did you find that amazing? How did he know 24 centuries ago that this landmass, this people, this area would be involved in preparing to take Israel off the map as we just read? And we also know that Russia has consistently provided arms to Iran and has engaged in other reciprocal nefarious terrorist activities with them, revealing the kind of camaraderie Ezekiel predicted. Okay? We're there. Isn't it amazing? Bible prophecy is amazing. And, and in case you're wondering, what Ezekiel 38 predicts has never, ever, ever happened in history. And let me throw out one more little nugget. This is not the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is totally different players with totally different results. This might be a prelude to Armageddon. It might be the fuse to Armageddon. But you know what I see it as? The final jihad. Because every one of these nations are rapidly... Islamic, anti-Israel, and anti-Semitic. And this will be the final jihad to take Israel off the map, and God himself is going to 
blast it away and bring this war to an end. Say, Jeff, do you really believe this? Well, of course I believe it. I mean, the Bible is very, very clear. Now, here's the bottom line. Someday in the near future, the world is going to wake up to the news that a vast invasion of Israel is underway. The invaders will be comprised of a large confederacy of primarily Islamic, Israel-hating, anti-Semitic nations in league with Russia. This war will be unlike any other war in history. It will unleash a series of irreversible events that will change the world forever. It will be spectacularly ended by the intervention of Almighty God himself. I'm going to read that again in case you missed it. It will be spectacularly ended by the intervention of Almighty God. Jeff, you said nuclear weaponry. Well, God can use, listen, the Bible, the, the prophet said he has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. However the decimation happens to these invading armies, it's going to happen. God is not going to allow his people to be evaporated, annihilated, decimated, by these Islamic armies along with Russia. He's not going to let it happen. Now, let's look at how Ezekiel describes the aftermath of this war. Let's just say this war happened in our lifetime. I think it very easily could because all the players are in place. And they're all Israel haters. And Russia is deeply involved with most of them right now. Ezekiel writes, after this war has been ended by this decimation, then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both shields, bucklers, bows and arrows, javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. They will not take wood from the field nor cut down any of the forest because they will make fires with the weapons, and they will plunder those who plundered them and pillage those who pillaged them, says the Lord God. It will come to pass in that day that I will give Gog, that is Russia, a burial place there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will obstruct travelers because they, there they will bury Gog and all his multitude. Therefore, they will call it the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them. Let me read that again. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. Indeed, all the people of the land will be burying, and they will gain renown for it on the day that I am glorified, says the Lord God. They will set apart men regularly employed. Hey, I got a job. Hey, what's your job? Burying people from that war. And they'll be employed with the help of a search party to pass through the land and bury those bodies remaining on the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search. The search party will pass through the land. Watch this. When anyone sees a man's bone, he will set up a marker by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. The name of the city will also be Hamona, which uh, uh, thus they shall cleanse the land. Now, as I pointed out last time, this is the way that you would have to clean a land polluted with nuclear waste. Even a bone that had radioactivity on it, you would have to mark it and move on and let somebody come and bury it. That's what Ezekiel saw. Passersby won't be allowed to go beyond a certain point due to the radiation. Now, this is my conjecture. 
Um, I'm I, this is in in case it is nuclear, and I I believe it might very well be. So if it's nuclear, they won't be allowed because the Bible says they won't be allowed past a certain place. The passers-by, travelers, even a bone of those killed will have a marker placed by it until it's buried. Ezekiel also predicts an awareness on the part of the Jews, as well as the rest of the Gentile world, that it was God who intervened on Israel's behalf. Watch this. He writes in verse 21, I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment, which I have executed. How many nations? All. Because everybody's going to have watched this, of course. And they're all going to come to a conclusion. God did this. All the nations will see my judgment, which I have executed, and my hand, which I have laid on them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity. Do you get this? That we Gentiles, all of us Gentiles over here in these Western nations, are all going to realize and have an understanding as to why the Jews were persecuted for 20 centuries, why the Holocaust, why they were treated like dirt all those centuries for their iniquity, because they were unfaithful to me, therefore I hid my face from them. I gave them into the hand of their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. And all the Gentile nations are going to realize this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their own land and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they, the Jews, will know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. So after this war, there's going to be a worldwide Jew and Gentile revelation that God's hand was involved in all of this. And then he says in verse 29, I will not hide my face from them anymore, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. But listen carefully to me now. This is all good and wonderful. And I rejoice in what we just read. That is the last part of it. I don't rejoice in war ever. I do rejoice that God protects Israel when she's attacked. And the day may very well come. You and I wake up, and this invasion is underway. Would you be surprised in light of everything going on in the world today? In light of the way nations have been turning against Israel, even our own? Would you be surprised if we woke up and saw that a confederacy of nations had invaded the land of Israel? I wouldn't. If we do wake up and see it, get right with God. Because you're about to see some major, major stuff going on in our world. But now, after this and after the cleanup, and after this worldwide revelation, there is still something that must happen. 
the prophet Jeremiah said something would come upon Israel called the time of Jacob's trouble. And that's still to come. Following this amazing series of events predicted by Ezekiel, a false Christ will come upon the scene. Listen carefully to me, church. As surely as you're sitting here, a false Christ is going to come upon the scene. Jesus predicted this, saying, quote, I am come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. But another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. He said that to the Jews. He said that to the Jewish people, those that he came to. He came to his own, and his own received him not, the Bible says. So what did Jesus say? I came to you as your Messiah, and you didn't receive me. So here's what's going to happen. Another is going to come in his own name, and you're going to receive him. When you re reject the real, you always embrace a counterfeit. Jesus was talking about the Jews receiving the coming Antichrist as the Messiah. Daniel the prophet. Don't have time to show, show this to you. Maybe one, one Wednesday night we can go into Daniel. But Daniel the prophet predicted the day would come when Israel would cut a covenant, cut a peace treaty with Antichrist. It will be a seven-year treaty. They will believe him. They will go into league with him. They will trust him. And they'll cut a treaty with him. And essentially they are cutting a treaty with hell, with the devil. And halfway through that treaty, three and a half years in, he will turn on them. And literally all hell breaks loose halfway through that treaty, which is the seven-year tribulation. The Jews will receive him because after the Gog War, where God destroys Gog's army to save Israel and also to display to Israel and the world that he exists, they will be set up by religious leaders to believe that they will now enter the promised kingdom restoration. Because Antichrist is going to let them reinstitute all their Old Testament sacrifices. The temple will be rebuilt. Antichrist will essentially say to them, in order to cut the treaty, oh, yeah, go, go back into your Old Testament sacrifices and all the stuff that you observed under Moses. Go ahead, go for it. We love you just like you are. But three and a half years into it, he will put a stop to it. He will demand they worship no one but him, and he will walk into the temple, the rebuilt temple, and declare himself to be God. And then all pandemonium and hell breaks loose. Now, instead of what they thought they were getting, they will enter the false covenant with the Antichrist. Now, I want to close with something that Paul uh, wrote in Thessalonians that is so powerful. And I want you to look at this with me. 2 Thessalonians 2 Let's start reading. Now, Paul is talking about this time period that I just talked to you about. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, 
as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. There was a rumor going around in the first century that Jesus had already come. He said, don't believe it. He has not already come. And he says, let me tell you some things that must happen before he does come. So he goes on. Let no one deceive you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, let no one deceive you. That's a good word for today. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come, the day being the return of Christ, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, let's just number them, right? First, a falling away from what? From the faith once delivered to the saints. A falling away. We call it an apostasy. There will be a huge worldwide falling away before the coming of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Are we seeing that today? You better know we are. We've got whole denominations throwing the Bible out, folks, that used to be pillars for the truth. I could take you back to the 1930s, 1920s, 1900s, the the 19th century, all the 1800s. These churches, these denominations were the pillars and ground of the truth. And now they've thrown the Bible out. They are doing things that are completely contrary to clear scripture, ordaining homosexual people into the ministry, marrying same-sex people. And, you know, say, oh, there you go, Jeff, hating. I don't hate anybody. Don't give me that. Here's the deal. I don't hate. I have a moral conviction. And my moral conviction comes from the word. Okay? It's not hate. So as much as the radical gay folks want to spin this, that when somebody has a moral conviction, they're a hater. Well, I've got a moral conviction that theft is wrong, too. And I also have a moral conviction that murder is wrong. Do any of those make me a hater? Enough said. There will be a falling away from the orthodox, biblical, Christian faith. And it will be worldwide. And along with this falling away, the man of sin is revealed. Notice, singular man. Man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. We could say the son of the devil. Not literally like Jesus was the son of God. It's not like Satan's spirit causes a woman to conceive without the help of a man. That's not what I'm saying. But this individual will be demon-possessed unlike anyone has been demon-possessed in all of history. Look at Hitler. Look at Saddam Hussein. Look at anybody you want to name in history that has been evil, wicked. This guy will put them to shame in his, the level of his demon possession. He will be demon, Satan controlled, the son of perdition, the son of the devil, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped. He is a, he is a, an industrial strength narcissist. He says, not only am I incredible and not only am I all of these things, and, but, but guess what? I'm on the level of God. So worship me. So that he sits as God in the temple of God. Here we go. Paul puts him in the rebuilt temple, committing the abomination of desolation, desolating the inner sanctuary, by going into it and calling himself God, showing himself that he is God. 
Now, look what Paul says. He says, do you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So he's writing to them, but, but it's just repeat. He's repeating what he's already told them. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Look, he says in verse 8, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. We see all that in the end of the book of Revelation. When Antichrist and the false prophet are seized by the angel and thrown into the lake of fire, that's all there in the end of the book of Revelation. The Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So when Jesus returns, his coming is going to be bright like lightning flashing across the sky. It is going to be sudden, totally unexpected, which I'm getting into next week. I'm calling next week a world caught by surprise. He's going to come suddenly. It's going to be bright. The whole world's going to see him. And when he appears in the sky, the Antichrist, who's going to be right then involved in the war of Armageddon with the false prophet, is going to be seized by the angel of Christ and thrown into the lake of fire. And isn't it interesting that here in 2 Thessalonians, John, way back later in the book of Revelation, totally agrees with this, shows the unity of the Bible. The coming of the lawless one, he's going to tell us how Antichrist is going to come. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, this Antichrist is going to perform signs and wonders like Jesus did. That is miraculous stuff where people will look and say, wow, he really is supernatural. Let's follow him. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why are they perishing? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. What's the love of the truth? John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. So the Antichrist is a delusion. Look at verse 11 as we get ready to close. And for this reason, God will send them, the Jews and the world, read it with me, strong delusion. Remember what I said? When you reject the truth, you accept a counterfeit. Anytime you and I look at the Bible and we know what it says and we reject it, we've just opened the door for deception. We've opened the door for a lie. When you reject the truth, you open the door to be deceived. I weep over our nation. I pray more regularly and more intensely for America now than I ever have in my whole life because America has rejected Christ, has rejected the Bible. So, no, Jeff, there's a lot of Christians in America. Well, there's a lot of Christians in America, but America as a whole has rejected the word of God. Well, what's, the only thing that can happen is deception rush in. So I ask you tonight, is deception rushing in? Oh, yeah. But look what happens. When you reject the truth, God will eventually send a delusion. He sends it. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I know this is a heavy word. And like I said, next time I'm going to talk about a world caught off guard. We're going to talk about the days of Noah and the days of Lot. 
and how both generations were caught off guard. It's really good stuff. And this is what Jesus said next time. But I want to leave you with an encouraging word. I know this is heavy stuff. Say, wow, sounds like the world is going to come crashing in. It is. It is. It is going to come crashing in. Well, no, no, no. It's going to get better, Jeff. Evolution tells us so. Evolution's a lie. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. America's decaying in front of our eyes. But here's the deal. Though all of this around us is in collapse, what is God saying to you and to me? Here's what he's saying. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the darker it gets out there, the brighter we're going to get in here, and we're going to take the light into the dark. Yes, we're going to be persecuted. Yes, we might be mocked. But many, many people are going to be saved in this dark hour. So let's stand together tonight, can we? I know this is a lot for you to think about in the process. The CD is available out there. Uh, should you want the CD and to give it to somebody, you ought to give it to somebody. Because this is what the Bible says. They can go read it for themselves. The important thing, according to Jesus, let's bow for prayer. The important thing is that we be ready for his coming. And that we take the light into the dark before he does come. So I want us to pray together. Can we just slip a hand up towards heaven? And I want you to say with me, Lord, help me to be ready. When the trumpet blows and you return to this earth, until then, help me to shine and take the light into the dark and see the captives set free. I believe with our heads bowed, I believe we're going to have the greatest harvest we've ever had. I believe in these days of darkness, there is going to be great grace extended in this final hour before Christ returns. And we're going to be right in the middle of it, casting the net of salvation out there and bringing in a great harvest of souls. And that's my heart. And that's my, my passion. And that's our destiny. Say with me, we have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's sing a stanza of worship, can we, before we go tonight? Thank you, Lord.